We're reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you this morning about the outreach ministry of Youth for Christ. I just want to start by saying thank you to this church, uh, to the leadership, to the congregation, and many of you who are friends of mine and have been for many years, and to the students, to the middle school and high school and uh, college students here in Bloomington that make me and many of us feel younger than we really are. Uh, I'm grateful for the support that that the church has given me personally for the last 20 years uh, as a member and as a missionary of Youth for Christ. So this morning, we're going to talk about teenagers, right? So to start with, I want you to think about your life as a teenager. So for some of you, you are there right now. And for others of you, like me, it's been a few years. So... Get yourself in your, teenage, in your teenage mind. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you a few questions to think about. You don't have to answer them out loud. As you think about your teenage self, what's your favorite room in your home? How do you feel in that place? And what are you doing there? And as you think about you in the middle of your story as a teenager, who are the characters, who are the people around you that are part of your life? Hopefully some faces come to mind. What is your life like at home? Think about school. What are you doing there? How are you involved at school? How would your friends describe you?
Is there anything in your teenage life that's happening in your story that nobody else knows, that you keep as a secret from your family or your friends? Is there an adult in your life that cares about you and that encourages you and maybe has even introduced you to Jesus? If you didn't have an adult person in your life or if you don't have, imagine what difference that would have made in your life as a teenager. So this morning I want to tell you a little bit about my teenage life in middle school and high school. My favorite room in our house was our family room. It was very cozy and very comfortable. There was big, thick 70s carpet in that room. And sometimes there was a fire in the fireplace. Uh, But the reason that I especially like that room is because we had a gigantic TV. Now, many of you in this room are too old to know this, but they sat on the floor, big gigantic box TV, and I sat right in front of it with my snack all the time. And you had to sit really close to it because there were no remotes. You had to change the channel if you wanted to, so that it was good to be close. There were only four channels to change, too, right? Four or five, maybe. But that was my favorite room in our house at our home. I was the oldest in my family. I had one younger sister. She was much younger, and she was a pest. Um, My parents were happily married, and were happily married for 51 years. My mom stayed at home. She, She didn't work outside the home. My dad was the high school government teacher and the football and baseball coach. More about that later. He knew everybody in town. Uh, We lived in a small town, and as a result, way too many people knew me. I liked school, except for government. (laughs) I got decent grades. I had a B in government until my mom talked to the teacher. Um, I was involved in a lot of things in school. I was a varsity athlete. I played in three sports. Um, I had a very tight circle of friends. The one thing, I had a really close circle of friends in middle school, and then I promptly rejected them and went to high school and made a new circle of friends that I thought were more popular and more cool, at least in my perspective. That's kind of how that went went down. I think my friends would have described me as um, smart. I was the jock girl in our group. Um, I was funny. Uh, nice. Probably they would have said I was a pretty decent friend. If they needed something, they could call me. But, but my friends, you know, I, don't, I didn't really let them in to the interior of my uh, person. I kind of kept things at a distance. I kept my friends at a distance, but with my humor and so forth. They didn't really know me. I had no boyfriends, but I really wanted them. And I blamed that on my football coach father. You know, he, he was football coach, and he broke clipboards on guys' heads at practice. They did have their helmets on. It was the 70s, right? So I blamed him for my love life in high school um, a lot. 
Uh, I went to church. Our family went to church every Sunday because my father said, we're going. Uh, I had a completely different set of friends on Sunday. So I kind of had a Sunday life and a Monday through Saturday life. And I had a Sunday group of friends and I had a Monday through Saturday group of friends. Uh, I wanted to be and tried to be good, but never felt good enough. I tried to be who my parents wanted me to be. I tried to be who my coaches and teachers wanted me to be. I tried to be who my friends wanted me to be. And I didn't really have an adult in my life that I trusted enough with the deep needs and questions that were in my heart. So when I went away to college, I decided to be who I thought I wanted to be. So I started going to parties, and I stopped playing sports. And I stayed up late and made lots of friends. I was the classic FOMO in college. Fear of missing out. That was me. I was awake when anybody else was awake, hanging out in coffee shops that we didn't have, really, and bum rooms uh, at college. I got horrible grades the first year because, obviously, that was not as important as my social life. The summer after my freshman year in college, I went home. My father was running for a state political office, and I proceeded to get arrested and to spend a night in jail during his, that time, which was very difficult for all of us. And thankfully, internet did not exist, and not very many people found out about it. Um, I was away from home. I was in a county, you know, several counties from my home. Um, and as God would have it, I do ministry in that county now. So I can remember how far I've come and what, where he's brought me. So fast forward to my first year here in Bloomington and one of my first jobs, and as you might imagine, my life wasn't going so well. And I was lonely, and I drank a lot, and I never felt like I had any money, and I was compromising my values and feeling really horrible about the whole thing. So one day at work, I worked for a small ad agency here in town, and the boss sent the entire staff to pitch a client, like to try to win an account for our agency, except for me and one other woman in the firm. And we went to the grocery store to buy groceries and some things for a company picnic that we were going to have later in the day. And I don't even really remember how it came up, but the, the topic of Jesus came up as we were buying groceries. And we started talking about what we believed and about our lives. And um, this friend, uh, afterward, became my friend. We started talking more and more day after day after that day about, um, you know, what was going on in our lives and what was happening. And I started asking myself if I really believed in God and, and if I really believed that he was who he said he was, why was my life such a mess? And why was I such a mess? So it didn't take long for me to kind of get on my face one night and confess all my sin to God and ask for forgiveness and to say, I want you to be the, the director, the guide of my life. And the very next morning, God kind of allowed me, he gave me a sign of his commitment to that, and he broke a seven-year smoking habit that I had. Um, and I had tried to break it many, many times in tears and uh, frustration. And so that's kind of how my life with Jesus began. And right after that, yes, I went back to church. 
I started studying the scriptures. Uh, I went to Bible study fellowship, and, and God's story really started to open up for me. Uh, I started to give my time and energy to teenagers. I went back to school. I became a volunteer at my church youth group, and in a couple of years, I was a part-time youth director there. And over time, I just sensed um, in my heart that God was calling me to something more. I worked at IU, but I felt like God was calling me to full-time ministry in some way, but I couldn't really understand that because my perception of ministry was a pastor at a church, and I had no idea what God had in mind, but I didn't think that was it. So I was excited that God was really pursuing me, but I was terrified at the same time because this was not at all what I had expected for my life. My plan was to find a guy, get married, work at an ad agency, become a mom, and live nowhere near Indiana. Well, God's plan was different. His plan prepared me to lead a youth ministry organization right here in town, and he equipped me perfectly, unbeknownst to me, um, and in his right time, I left my job at IU and became the director of Youth for Christ here at Southern Hills. So why do I tell you that story? Well, I had loving parents. I, had a, I went to church. I knew about Jesus. I was educated and healthy. I had lots of friends. Um, I didn't, my fa although my family was not rich, we had what we needed and wanted. Um, even with all of that, I didn't feel good enough, and I didn't feel smart enough, and I didn't feel pretty enough, and I didn't feel talented enough, and I couldn't figure it out on my own. I couldn't figure out what was missing in my life. And at the age of 25, with the help of my friend who I worked with, who's been my friend now for 35 years, she knew Jesus and she loved me, and with her help and through the help of the Holy Spirit, I realized deep in my being that God loved me who I was, he loved me where I was, and he loved me as I was. And those not enough feelings started to go away. Jesus made it clear to me that I was enough for him. And as a result of that deep abiding love, I was compelled to be who God made me to be, and to do everything that he called me to do. And that included coming alongside kids, loving them so that they could know the amazing love of Jesus for them. I could not believe, honestly, and I still to this day, how much I struggled as a teenager with all, of the, all that I had. And... Um, I was painfully aware that so many kids have much more pain and struggle than I could ever imagine. You know, you know how hard it is for kids today. You, you have either experienced it yourself, or you know someone else who has, or you've heard about it in the world that we live in. So many kids in our community and the surrounding area have stories that include hopelessness, abuse, loneliness, bullying, intense pressure to succeed, and confusion with their identity. And you heard in our Campus Life video that 15 out of 24 million kids are not in a local church worshiping regularly. Over 7 million identify themselves as atheists. 
Each one of these kids is deeply loved by God, just as they are and just where they are. Many do not know that God exists and that he loves them so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die for them and to be raised again so that they can have abundant life, free life. In Matthew 9, 36, Matthew tells us um, that Jesus was traveling around the cities and villages and he was teaching and announcing and talking about the good news. And here's what it says. Here's, Here's what Matthew says. Jesus felt great pity for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they didn't know where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Kids' problems are so great today. At least, at a minimum, their problem feels great to them. And often kids don't know where to go for help. They don't know or trust an adult in their life who has time for them and who they think will understand them. And again, this may not be true, but it's their perception, and perception is reality. Youth for Christ is trying to do everything that we can so that kids between the ages of 11 and 19, during those most formative years, have the opportunity to know that that the God who has made them loves them and has a special plan for their lives. Youth for Christ has a mission to reach kids everywhere, and to go where kids are and to make lifelong followers of Jesus. So we're going to take, these are the different um, ministries that Youth for Christ um, has throughout the country. And essentially what those are, are those are places where Youth for Christ goes to, to meet kids where they are. For parent life, it's early childhood vocational departments or it's pregnancy care centers in communities. For campus life and for core, core is Christian students who are trying to follow Jesus and want their friends to know him. It's in middle school and high school campuses. For juvenile justice ministry, it's in juvenile detention centers. For YFC military, it's on military bases. For city life, it's in the inner cities at community centers. And for Deaf Teen Quest, we're reaching deaf students um, wherever they are gathering together in different communities. Here in our area, we're focused on parent life, campus life, and YFC core. And for over 25 years here in Bloomington and Monroe County and throughout the seven other counties that we cover, YFC has been giving life to kids' stories through the good news about Jesus. And all this happens through relationships. By engaging kids who do not yet know Jesus in authentic Christ-sharing relationships, YFC has seen over 12,000 lives impacted, and 1,252 teens have made first-time decisions to follow Jesus. This past year, we've connected with 900 unique kids, 210 of those kids are in a relationship with an adult leader, 110 have been on a trip, and 32 have made a first-time decision. I've been with YFC for a long time. One of my first memories, other than uh, Lori Mangram and I being on a ski trip and trying to kill spiders one night, um, one, one of my first memories was in March of 1996. I wasn't even on staff yet but was considering the opportunity and decided to take my spring break, I worked at IU, and go on this campus life trip to Florida. 
And in a matter of six days, I just got to witness the eyes of this teenager become wide open as he started to understand for the first time the love that Jesus had for him. That young man today is now leading a collegiate ministry in the Pacific Northwest with his wife and three kids. It's just so neat to see how God has grown him. Uh, my last kid trip, which was in 2013, I do a lot more um, developing and training of other leaders. God released me from cabin time with kids in 2013. Um, five members of my Jackson Creek Middle School eighth grade girls basketball team went with me on a trip to YFC camp in Michigan. And yes, I was the oldest cabin leader at age 52. Um, we climbed a wall together for a high ropes course and the wall was made of netting, which is not easy when you're 52 and out of shape. We tubed on the lake, we rode horses, um, we even fought off girls and guys and won a really cool capture the flag game uh, that was in the woods and at night, it was a little you know, running into trees and everything. We sang songs, we listened to stories about Jesus, and we talked to each other about our own lives and what we were experiencing at camp that week. Two of those five girls decided to start following Jesus for the first time. It was so exciting. This morning, you've seen a video. Um, the first young woman is not from this area, obviously, but her life is forever changed by parent life in another community. And Rosanna shared about um, a young woman whose life is changing, and it's changing the, life of her, the lives of her family as well. You've heard my story, and you've even thought about your own story and how, that, how God has changed it. Um, we know that none of these stories would have happened without the power of Christ. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, it said, and um, we read that this morning, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, meaning us, should no longer live for themselves but for him. So I want to ask you today, what compels you? Why do you, why do you and I do what we do? Are we driven by praise and achievement? Are we compelled by fear? Are we bound by obligation? Or are you and I compelled or controlled by Christ's love? In verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Christ makes us new creations, and as new creations, Christ calls us to action and gives us the ministry of reconciliation and the title of ambassador for Christ. I want to tell you one final story. Um, one year for my birthday, I received this ring. You probably can't see it um, as a gift, and it's an amethyst stone. It's my birthstone. It's the nicest piece of jewelry that I own, and it was a gift from my niece, Bridget, when she was seven years old. So here's this, I asked my mom to tell me the story because she was with Bridget at the time. So she and Bridget were talking one day about my birthday that was coming up and mom asked Bridget, birthdays are a big deal in my family, so mom asked Bridget if she was going to get me a gift. Well Bridget immediately like stopped and thought and sprinted out the room, you know, coming back in with this ring in her hand. I'm going to give Aunt Jenny this ring for her birthday, she said. She had a big, gigantic smile on her face. 
Now, Bridget found the ring in my sister's jewelry box. <laughs> right? So I have the ring. Um, so you know that my sister generously agreed to give the ring to Bridget so that Bridget could give the ring to me. And, you know, I want to see myself, and I, you know, I want us to see ourselves like my niece Bridget. She loved me, right? And she knew the love of her mom was so big that she could go right into her jewelry box and take this ring out and give it to me. She knew right where to go to find a perfect gift for me, but her ability to give that gift was limited, right? She needed my sister in order to give the kind of gift that she wanted to give. And I think Jesus loves us and our not-yet-Christian friends and neighbors and co-workers and roommates and classmates and teenagers so much that he will give us all that we need in order to love others so that they too can know the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel. Sometimes I, I don't live like that. Sometimes I live like I can't spare something instead of going to the Father to see that, uh, what he has for me to give to others, the love that I have. I want to be like Bridget. Jesus felt pity on the crowd. Jesus healed the people in the crowd. Jesus went to the people and loved them. He died for them. Am I and are you willing to die to ourselves, to myself, to yourself, for him and for others? That story ends in Matthew with Jesus' words where he says, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. When you and I remember Christ's love for us and live as his new creations, relying on the power that he gives us, we can be messengers of hope in this world, reconciling others to himself.